This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is Tyrese Campbell and you're listening to the Every Step Along The Way podcast. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to your number one Stoke City podcast, Every Step Along The Way. Um, I hope everyone's doing well. It's been bloody cold this week and it's been even colder but in terms of results at the Bet365. So, uh, as always, you've got myself, Mike Stockley, joined by uh, Mr. Reliable, uh, Daniel Buxton, and also joining, which is feels almost a, a regular now, as of course, uh, Laurie. So, um, Dan, starting with you, I think you've been a little bit ill this week, mate. Is that right? Uh, yes, can't quite sh- shake off a chest infection. So, yes, if you, uh, I will do my best not to cough and splutter through this next hour or so. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, yeah, the bit of a bit of a virus and then ends up with a bit of a chest infection as well. So, not not been the greatest week in our house. Also known as man flu. Well, uh, you, you're not sounding too bad, mate. But well, uh, you know, the joys I, of editing. I, I, I trooped on. I did a full. I did whilst I was at my worst of it. I went into the full twelve-hour shift and then carried on. I didn't give up. <laughs> I didn't succumb to it. Good lads, nice one. Well done. Um, and like I said, uh, very much uh, irregular, but we, we, we like to get people on who know what they're talking about. Uh, shame Dan's still here, but we'll get rid of him eventually. Uh, Laurie, uh, welcome back, mate. How's things been with you? How you doing, Mike? Hello, Dan. Um, cheers for having me back on. Yeah, um, frustrated. <laughs> I know I know. we'll get an opportunity to talk about the last uh, game the last few weeks, but... A bit of a turnaround in fortune for Stoke, as we all know, and um, I'm sure we'll be able to uh, unpack it all. But yeah, just just frustration, and uh, I'm sure I'm I'm probably the same as many many a thousand Stokey at the moment. But um, always looking to uh, feel more positive about the future. So uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see how it all goes. We will, mate, we will. Um, and before we get into the doom and gloom, let's try have a little bit of lightheartedness. Um, have you both got your Christmas tree up? Because I'm sitting here now on the sofa, and it's very, very glamorous, have you noticed? Not in a studio, not using any stupid words. If my studio is my front living room, then I'm there, right? But uh, I'm looking at my glittering Christmas tree. Have you boys got yours up now? Right. Yep, all up. <laughs> you well, go first, Dan. You go first, Laurie. 
Oh, cheers, matey. Um, yeah, I, I was just going to say, uh, tried my best. It's it's very much a plastic um, version, so so not too many conifers uh, lying around to to prickle the little one. But um, yeah, tried my best with it. Uh, instantly, the missus had a look at it. That is dreadful. You've decorated it awfully. Um, and uh, back to the start with with all of the decorations. So. Um, I would say very a very good attempt from me. I'm not sure uh, if she would say the same thing. Yes, see, my, see, mine's cheating a lot of it, right? So uh, I've got like a, a net lighting. So you just put the, the star on the top and it drapes down over the tree. So mine's quite easy. Um, and we've gone quite a, a subtle light thing. And it's like a naturally white-tipped tree. So I cheated a lot, basically. So mine's, mine's quite straightforward. But yeah, whatever she says goes, mate, you, you know you're wrong. So... Uh, just keep that in mind. Um, Mr. Buxton, uh, I, bet, I guess, have the kids been helping you put yours up since you've had man flu? Or? Uh, so basically, um, we've had the uh, a painter uh, come in, obviously, do some work. So we had to rather the sort of living room fully painted on at the weekend and then all the kitchen as well. So we had to wait until that was all done, which was done, uh, finished today, came back and finished off today. So I came in from work and the tree was all set up and looking lovely. And it's like and it's like a frosted one. You know, like it's got that pretend like it looks like it's got snow all over it and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like green and white and yeah, got some nice decorations and stuff. So yes, they've done a good job. Good. Well done, family. Very good. Um, so yeah, I thought well, let's get let's keep things in a nice nice standing before it goes all Pete Tong, let's be honest. Um okay, so let's get into it. Plymouth oh, Defeat again. Um, now, we obviously backed up our sh- oh, quite shocking result against QPR uh, with yet another defeat. Uh, this time, uh, we went 1-0 up from Tyrese Campbell, obviously before uh, Bundu in a, a 97th minute buddy killer uh, from Randall. Topped off a quite miserable few weeks, let's be honest. Now, I don't know about you boys, I thought lineup wise was quite um, quite encouraging, actually. I think there was an awful lot wrong with it. Um, a couple of People pulled out the obvious. Um, so Henry was, well, Henry. Um, Clark's come in the last couple of games as well, and I don't think he's really set the world alight, to be honest. I mean, the amount of experience he's got, it's, it doesn't feel like a Phil Jagielka type impact to me so far, where he's got a real steady head. But um, what did you boys think to the lineup? Was there too many complaints at the time? I mean, Laurie, I'll, I'll come to you first. What, what, what was your impressions when you saw the team? Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't overly disappointed. I I feel as you've as you've previously mentioned about Clark, um, Rose wasn't in in a great deal of form. I I know coming off off the back of the last last few weeks, he's been dropped. So um, tried to tried to sort it out with um, with Clark. I, I don't think it's necessarily come off. Obviously, we've been shipping a lot of goals. Um, but I wasn't disappointed with most of the selections. I, I feel that if you've had a couple of defeats, perhaps you can you can sort of shuffle the pack a little bit and and make a few changes. So yeah, not not too disappointed. But I, I expected a lot more from the performance. I don't know about you guys. I was I was quite positive about how it was all going to be uh, unfolding, but but. 
certainly no punch at all in, in the performance at all. Dan, no, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, Dan, did did you think there was a bit of lack of punch? Uh, lack of kind of, well, yeah, lack of punch is probably a very good point, actually. I mean, it, what was your thoughts? Uh, I didn't think we were too bad in the first half. Uh, I thought we were, you know, we had uh, enough going on, enough going forward. Not not massive, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, oh, my God, we're on fire. This is great. But I thought, you know, there was enough. There was promising, you know, enough promise there. The, he looked a little bit the better side. Um, it's a bit too flat after the break. There's other, you know, couldn't get going again, did he, by the looks of it? That's just how it seemed. And and it's like I felt they maybe settled for a point. Maybe after the defeat at QPR, maybe they were nervous towards the end. Maybe they were expecting it as sort of a, um, you know, mistake in themselves. Was the yeah, with the lack of the other players that were out here, the three suspensions, was that playing a part of it in the mindset that they had? Um, I mean, some people say, obviously, it was the manager that, that you know, was the negative one, but we, I don't know, I'm just saying, you know, the players themselves, did they just get a bit nervous, maybe? But yeah, second half, like I say, they were a bit flat, I think. They never got going. And in the end, yeah, I think there was... Probably only one team that were going to win it in that sort of last few, those late stages, weren't they? Do you think that just doesn't just typify our season, though, mate? Where we're having we'll have forty minutes or forty-five minutes spells, and then it's the complete reverse. I mean, we—I I, I must admit—I thought it was something that we got over. If I'm honest with you, I thought that I wasn't really seeing that early part of the season. And now it just feels like it's a, it's a string of games where it's like, we'll, we'll be great for first half and crap the second or, or the reverse. It doesn't seem to be much of a middle ground to me. Yeah. I mean, even, even Rotherham on the first day of the season, the job was done in the first half and we coasted through the second because and obviously, you know, at the time you think, well, coast through the second half because, we could coast through the second half, could we? Because we that's the position we put ourselves in. But you know, say may, maybe it was again, maybe again that was the same thing. You know, you got yourselves up for the first half and second half it, you weren't so much coasting as you just didn't get going. But what 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 would you say is causing that, Laurie? I mean is it is it lack of strength of in mentality? Is it lack of confidence, lack of awareness of, of how to manage a game? Uh, all of the above. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think why we're we're having this issue, and I can't imagine it's it's fitness wise. Really, I think they've all had a relatively, you know, decent preseason. Um, and I know that all of them were with us, but no, not we're not talking loads and loads of players being out injured for long periods of time, as far as I can remember. Yeah, it's re- it's a really interesting point that you're talking about. I put something up on our Facebook group and. Um, you know what's what's essentially going wrong, and what you've got is a real mixed bag of opinions. Uh, people aren't talking about the same thing. Um, some are discussing the defensive frailties. Uh, others are talking about the lack of goals that we're conceding. But for me, it's got to be game management. If you're if you're getting ahead in games, you need the know-how and you need the leadership on the park and off. Uh, in order to see the game through and and to, I was going to say rescue the the three points. It's not rescue them. It's it it's cement them, uh, secure those three points. Um, and 
we we've had that issue all through the season. But a, a perfect example uh, is is Saturday. It wasn't a it wasn't a pretty game at all. No, anything but. But when you get into the lead, regardless of the the period of the game that you're getting that lead, you hold on to it and you become you've got to become more more cemented in your positions and structured uh, didn't happen for us and uh, yeah we arguably got what we deserved um towards towards the end part of the game where they really were pushing on looking to score and then uh, as as you've mentioned it happened uh, right at the death but a goal before half time and a goal before full time just before um Tends to be a bit of a, a copy and a pace for Stoke City. So, I mean, Dan, do you think we're lacking a bit of a leader then? Because I'm, I'm looking at the team now in front of me, right? So, Jack Bonham's never been very vocal uh, at all. So, we can't really... Uh, I know he's, he's not a young goalkeeper, obviously, but he's not exactly been very vocal. Then you look at the back four, you've got Hoover, um, McNally, Clark, who should be really quite experienced there, um, and obviously then Lyndon Gooch. I mean, none of them are massively standing out. Kieran Clark should definitely be, I suppose, the leader if you want to look at a team. I mean, Ben Pearson's had a, a couple of rough games. Uh, he's still a great midfielder. I, I, he's allowed to have a couple of off games. I think he's been solid since he joined. But then Josh Loren, for me, has proven already that he's not a captain. Uh, Tyrese, Vidigal, Juno and Mai. None of them, you know, age range and experience range. You wouldn't say any any of them are captains as well. So, are we lacking maybe that leader or a couple of leaders on the pitch because we've maybe tried to get those younger, youthful players in, players from abroad? Is there a bit of lack of? I don't like the word identity as such because that's not what I'm trying to get across. But is there a lack of leadership and structure on the pitch? Do you think people for younger players to look to? Yeah, I wonder whether sort of Stevens missing is another one who maybe with you know the back line has that experience and and maybe respect of like I say younger players and that to someone they can look up to. I think with Clark in you know when he get when he's played a few matches, he may well be that person. But to be fair to him, I don't think he's I think the matches he's played in for us are the first he's played in what, seven, eight months, if not longer. So He's probably, to be fair to him, he needs to concentrate on his own game and getting himself back into the groove, back into the rhythm, doesn't he, of, of, of playing matches and that. And he's you know, concentrated on that more than anything else, I suppose, to be fair. Um, you can understand why you know, he might be a bit preoccupied with, well, like I say, with his own game. Um, but yeah, I think he, he probably, I mean, you could say the sort of leadership, you don't just turn it on and off, do you? But I, I imagine, you know, when there is that sort of you 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 can organise and all that business, but when you are maybe feeling a bit of pressure yourself, you can go a bit sort of introverted in that and not so much sort of the direction of others and more just sort of like I say self focused. Do you guys think, um, or do you worry about the fact that the captaincy gets thrown around a bit too much? I mean, you could you could say on one side of the coin, oh well, you know he's given people different responsibilities, and that could be a good thing. But but for me as a uh, as a supporter, I want one standout man with the armband, and I want to know that he's going to be in for 
you know, 40 plus uh, games games a season and leading the team out at, at the front of the tunnel. I'll sort of come back to you with a question of my own, Laurie. What, what's the importance to you of a, of a football captain? Because obviously, like, you know, in cricket, the captain is very important, isn't he? And in other sports, the captain can be really important. You know, make really, you know, solid um, you know, game-changing decisions. In football, it's a bit of a different role. What, what, what do you like feel is the importance of a captain in football? I suppose it depends on the personality, but based on based on a team like us at the moment that's lacking in confidence. The team needs somebody that they can they can focus on that's going to lead by example, put in steady um, steady performances where people people can can copy it and and follow from that lead. Doesn't necessarily have to be the the voice of the team, the one bellowing out orders. There's not many of those captains left. Uh, in in today's football game, but somebody that's going to be the steady Eddie and kind of take games by the scruff of the neck when the team aren't playing well, I think that is what we are desperate for at the moment. For me, when you've when you've got a young team that we've got, we, you need you need someone who's reliable, someone who's got a, a steady head on them, uh, has got experience. Again, I've mentioned Clark and I mentioned Pearson. I do think those should be two players who should believe by example. Now I can I can forgive Clark a little bit because he's he's only just come into the team. Maybe he doesn't feel he can stamp any authority on it yet. But I agree with what you were saying originally, Laurie. That you know, is he banded around too much? Um, is I guess a lot of people make also a point of what's the captain's job and is it to bollock someone on the pitch or is it very much to, you know, in, in the background, the stuff that us fans don't see, um, is, is it the case that that's, that's more important than what happens on a pitch, you know? I suppose they, they play all week. They should know what's happening. But I think if you concede a goal, you know, you go one nil down, or the team equalise, or whatever it may be. I do think that you, you know, you need people on the pitch, whether that's Clark Pearson or someone else taking a lead, really, and just putting your arm around them or give them a kick up the backside, whatever the hell they need to rile them up. And I think if you look back at the highlights when we concede, it's heads go down, everyone's moping around, and it's almost like I think for the younger players, they don't actually know who to look up to and who to, to look for that. I mean, should it be the manager? Does does the captain really matter too much in that scenario? Do you need four or five captains on the pitch rather than someone who just chucks an armband on? Um, I mean, I'm not saying the captain's the, the main problem. It's just, I think it's just an interesting um, observation, if you like, from what I've seen looking back at the highlights. Um, but I mean, let's kind of move on a little bit anyway actually from this so we we obviously scored with with Tyrese um a bit of a lapse in concentration funny enough actually from Plymouth uh the the keepers cleared it they basically I, think, I can't remember who it was in the middle now it's just nodded it forward Tyrese has done what Tyrese has done a lot of times over his Stoke career actually just kind of fade in from the right saw the run take a nice little touch just inside the 18-yard box and then slots at home with his left foot. So Tyrese has actually come back and looked very lively in the last couple of games. Um, I mean, what what have you boys made of Tyrese's impact? He, I think he's... I, it's too early to say he's back to his best, but um, he looks lively and fit at the very least. 
Yeah, I think he's been very good um, since he's come back from from injury. Uh, I think he looks he looks sharp. He looks hungry. Uh, looks like he's sort of on a bit of a mission. To be honest, he's got his come on and he, he's he's not scared to run at people. He's awake, like I say, with that chance there. You know, he's he's onto it. He's seen that error happening before it's even happened, isn't it? And yeah, um, I think it's quite promising. If we can keep him fit and he can keep playing like this, then yeah, I think we'll have a, well, yeah, we're bound to have a, a decent run <laughs> at some point um, because I think he'll be, I say, involved quite heavily in, in the, all the attacking threat that we've got. So we, I think the nature of, oh, sorry, Dan, I was going to say the nature of where Tari's plays as well, he prefers to play on that right hand side. I, I found, I think that's where he's more effective for me is on the right. And obviously, the fact we've got uh, Vidigal who can play on the left hand side of the, the front three, I think it probably. You know, ties itself quite nicely as as average as Vidigal's been in the last few weeks. Uh, I think Ty really comes into his own when he comes off that right wing and and just ghosts into the middle. Yeah, and I mean, he, I saw something the other day, and he, he was in the uh, Phil um, Pete Smith and the Sentinel did something the other day and, and highlighted like you know that Campbell played with 106 different Stoke players in his 149 appearances for Stoke. Which is crazy, yeah. but and then he said like he was going through like the attacking threat and everything. Now it said like you know my twenty six, Vidigal twenty five, Campbell twenty three. I thought my God, he's still only twenty three. <laughs> you know, you, th- you feel like he'd been around forever, don't you? You forget he's actually, you know, he's he's still three four years off his prime really as a footballer. And, and you, know, I think because he's been with us for so long that you don't sort of get that um you don't get that understanding do you that that he, you know he is still learning his game he's still improving especially that injury set him back massively two years so you know there's still a big ceiling i think for him and he's showing he, hopefully like I said, the last couple of games he's showing the hunger as well to go with it for me and he looks like say looks on in top form and long may it continue He's not always going to be somebody that's going to that's going to tackle back. That's that's not going to work for the team as well as it it can do. But um, at times uh, he does it well and he he supports fullbacks. But where his attributes are best are in the final third. He needs he needs to be up there and he needs to be available for when we recycle the ball and turn it over um, in order to get him in it in wide areas or in, in space so we can threaten. Honestly, that that is exactly correct, mate. I said like months ago, and I stand by this, Ricardo Fuller did not chase back, chasing his fullback every five minutes. You allowed Ricardo Fuller to have a lazy 85 minutes because in that five-minute spell, when he did switch it on, he'd have a burst of pace, he was an explosive player, and he would just win you the game. Now, if Tyrese can do that, and he, he gives you that one moment or two moments in the game to win you the game, for me, he can stand on the halfway line for the 85 minutes of that match. I don't care. if We've got enough players... To get back and help the def- help the defense out, you know Ben Pearson's there to protect defense as well. Like if we're relying on a striker to cover defense, there's a problem further up the pitch. So I'm happy for him to sit there. Um, it was amazing how Ricardo Fuller got away with it for a lot of fans because of his ability. And now Tyrese can't get away with it. Um, I aren't quite Did sure you- about that. 
I don't think Ricardo Fuller did get away with it, to be honest. I remember there being plenty of people screaming at Rick for not running around. And I'm like, you do know who the manager is here. Tony Pulis, who demands effort. He demands pride in, in wearing your shirt. He demands, you know, 110% of every single thing about you when you go out and step on that pitch. If he is happy with Ricardo Fuller playing that way, then the fans should be happy with that. Because if there was a problem with it, if he wasn't pulling his weight, the man over there on the touchline, he'd be having him off straight away. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we remember it differently, mate, but I don't remember Ricardo Fuller chasing the left or right fullback no, and no, going no, into attack. No, he didn't. No, what I mean is he didn't do any of that. But people complained about him not doing it. And my point oh, was, if, if Tony Pulis is happy with that, then surely we should be happy because if there was one person who would pick up on him not doing what he wants him to do, it would be Tony Pulis. If there was one person who wouldn't accept, you know, like not putting the effort in or whatever, it would be Pulis. Obviously, Pulis was happy for him to play that way. What was um, what was the phrase he used? Water carriers and fancy dans. Yeah, you've got you've got to let the. Um, You've got to let the flair players play in the right areas. He's a player play who relies on bursts of speed. Yeah, no, I agree. I, agree. Um, I, I do agree with you, Dan. He, he's explosive, isn't he? John Walters, right, John Walters, was just fantastic for effort, for work rate. He'd run around like mad, run himself into the ground every single week. And he, you know, he, was, he was a damn good footballer as well, but he wasn't rapid, he wasn't speedy, so he had that... It, it's unfair to say he was one pace. He was more than that. You know, he had he, he had a little bit of you know speed about him, but he wasn't like electric quick, was he? He wasn't like glide past this man, that man with your pure space. He was. It was more like when he went past somebody, it was more was sort of like brute force, wanted and and power more than anything. And yeah. the thing is, if you were that kind of player like Campbell's, if you are charging back and charging back and you're there everywhere, running around constantly, when you come to do the thing you're on the pitch to do, create chances, score goals, make them runs, you know, like you did for the goal on Saturday, your legs won't work. Your legs won't do you won't be able to do what you need to do. <laughs> so no. that's what people need to understand. And and let's I'll be honest, if you want to see what a lazy winger looks like. Go and watch Marcus Rashford's performance against Newcastle on Saturday. On, on Saturday. But we go to the uh, equalising goal. So um, basically, Vidigal tries to close his man down. Doesn't really do an awful lot in that in that sense. He just basically gets passed around him. Now we've been basically taken out on the wings. It's a free. I think the problem with, with me, right? It's a free cross into the box. You've got Lyndon Gooch who's just backing off and backing off, and the ball's played across. The uh, across the, the centre of the box. Now, interestingly, I actually think Ben Pearson's a little bit to blame for this. And the reason being, I originally blamed Kieran Clark because he loses his man, but he's worried about the guy on the edge of the box in the actual moment, just as the cross comes in. If you want to go back and have a look, Pearson's just watching his man. For me, Pearson should be dropping deep. We've already got uh, Josh Loren, who's covering the midfielder that Pearson seems to cover. And you know, Pearson should be back covering the guy on the edge of the box so that Clark can concentrate on the guy who puts the ball in the net. And I just think, for me, it was a poor goal to go and concede. Um, and again, if you look back at the highlights, all of them, heads down, on the floor. 
I'm literally watching it as I'm saying this now. Every single one of them got their heads down on the floor. No one's giving anyone an absolute rollicking. Pearson, even again, he is literally watching the ball. So it was a very, very poor equaliser um, to go and concede uh, for, for absolute sure. Now, obviously, that's followed up then, of course, by the 97th minute equaliser and sorry, sorry, the 97th minute goal to, to go and take the win. Um, it was a bit of a scramble. I mean, what was it? Third attempt just kept coming out back to them. Uh, the players were on the floor absolutely devastated about it going in. Um, but it's just so stoking it. I mean, of of the three shots, you know, the keeper makes a save. You got McNally on the line, and then it, it all occasions it comes back to one of their players. So I guess a question to both of you: Is that bad defending? Is that bad luck, or is it us just taking a foot off the gas and not taking the game to them? Mm, a good, a good question. Um, well, I would say on both occasions, it's it's not bad luck. It's it's poor defending. First one, obviously, that probably changes the team talk. If you're one nil up at half time, you're going to be a little bit more positive, and then you come in at one all. Um, bit more jittery, panicky for the next 45, but uh, stop stop the ball at source, uh, stop the cross, stop the goal. Uh, it was a very low cross, a good cross, I would say, uh, in between the two centre-halves, or, or should I just say uh, slightly closer to Clark, I believe you said, Mike, as well. Um, but yeah, poor, poor defending from that side of things. Um Pearson could have done more, I agree, but we're we're all backtracking, and uh, it it was not dealt with uh, at the the beginning phases, uh, and then when you have three opportunities to clear a ball, um, cross wasn't stopped. Um, I I can't remember who it was, but uh, the lads had it on the the left wing and kind of uh, shimmied in it, it inside it and got a shot away. Um, Defenders have got to be more committed at getting to that drop-down ball. Um, it was it was a good first save, um, but defenders have got to do better for me. Uh, second block comes in. Yeah, fine, we're making blocks, but um, on the loose ball, uh, we need to be uh, far more alive. And that would be something that I definitely want to be focusing on on, on the training ground if I, I was Neil um, dealing with second balls. So, so yeah, uh, poor defending from both both accounts for me. Would you agree, Dan? Yeah, one thing I wondered, I mean, you just watched that goal back. Do you think it had anything to do with Gooch being a right footer at left back as well in stopping the actual cross for that first goal coming in, Mike? No, I, I don't think as much to do with that, mate. I think he's, he's keeping up with his man. He just gets the ball into the box. So, no, I don't think for me Gooch is at fault there, actually. Yeah, I just I just thought like when I first watched it, watched it the first time, I thought, is that how he stood there and positioned himself? Is it because he's naturally right footed that he's got himself in that sort of position? Um, but yeah, if he's what he might actually I only saw it the once, obviously in real time, well, real time then a replay at the at um, so so yeah, he's uh, yeah. This, this, what what got me was. You felt they were coming, both goals. You felt it was coming. It wasn't like 
breakaways, it was pressure that started small and it grew and grew and grew. And then there was a goal at the end of it. And then the second half, towards the end of the match, they started getting a bit of pressure and then it grew and it grew and it grew and they scored. And you think, I mean, actually, I, yeah, last week I was supporting the manager in the face of, um, you know, yourselves and that's so coming the other way. And this, I still, you know, still support Alex Neil now, and there's a lot of people who've sort of turned the other way. But I did wonder, I'm like, if, could you not have seen what was happening there twice? It's sort of, it wasn't didn't just happen with a click of the fingers. It was built built up pressure. Could could you not have tactically just switched something to change how you know, how this pressure was building and just cut it off? Even if it was a negative move for five ten minutes, just to halt that momentum from building at Plymouth, we're having. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, mate. This is where we've talked about Alex not sometimes having a plan B and making dodgy substitutions and and stuff like yeah, that. I think he's sort of known as a as, as a sort of a tactician manager, isn't he? He's one of you know he comes up with these great plans and, and stuff. And like I say, why I just didn't see it at the time. I was a bit frustrated. I was like, why did you not see this building? Why did you not just, you know, move move this player five yards in here or put somebody on him? I mean, I'm not a football manager, so I, <laughs> there was nothing that stuck out to me, I'll be honest. So maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe there wasn't an easy fix, but could he or his coaches not have seen something and said, right, well, let's just try this, just break the rhythm up of what they're doing? Well, you don't know whether... The, the message went onto the pitch and the players didn't listen or whether, as you said, the coach told the manager, the manager ignored the coach because he didn't agree with him or we just don't know the variations, do we? But no, it's either way. We we need to, we need to sort it out quickly, but we'll, we'll, we'll have to move on. We've spent a long time on this. Uh, you mentioned Alex Neil, Dan. Um, now we put a post out because it seemed to be very Alex Neil heavy um, in the last three or four days. A couple under a thousand of you uh, actually completed the uh, the, res- the poll results in less than 24 hours. The question was, I want to see where everyone is. It seems the tide has turned. Be an interesting follow-up for this podcast. Alex Neal, are you in, out, undecided, and finish 12th plus to save his job with the four options? So um, in reverse order, 11% of you said finish 12th or above to save his job. Next, we had in at 13%. Uh, we then had undecided at 17%, which meant that a 58% majority were Alex Neal out in this immediate moment. Now, I know it's a 1,000 people. It's not exactly sweeping across our whole fan base, but if you were to average that out across our attendance um, you know, for, for, for each week that we typically get, the resounding number is still Alex Neal out. So he's got a lot to do. Um, and you know what? That actually represents, I think, a lot of what we all see online. Um, so I just thought I'd drop that in there because I thought that was some really interesting stats, to be honest with you. Before we kind of finish up completely, uh, we, of course, always like to bring you some audio, uh, as always. So uh, we have some uh, obviously thoughts from the Plymouth camp. No doubt that they're a, a happy bunch. So it's Aaron from Argyle Life who's been in touch with us. Uh, let's see how happy he must be um, after his team's win. Hello all, me again, uh, Plymouth fan, um, 
Aaron from the Green and White podcast. Um, Dan has asked me to review the game. I'm not going to gloat, but a 97th minute winner doesn't get much better than that. Um, well, except it does because uh, Adam Randall, one of our own Youth Academy graduate, um, has scored some incredible goals, um, but none at home um, yet until Saturday. It's also his 100th game, which is mad uh, for a young lad who has always been maybe a bit too light. Uh, and I, I never thought he would get to this point, but he is a phenomenal bloke. Um, I said I wasn't going to gloat, but I'm pretty happy. Um, that first half was turgid. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, the second half wasn't much better, but I think we controlled the second half a little bit more. Um, most of the stats, apart from the last, if you take out the last 20 minutes, most of the stats were pretty even, I believe. Um, I think a draw would have been fair. I think you'd have been um, maybe not content, but I think you were worth a point. I don't think either team were worth much more. Um, it's one of those for me. I think um, we edged it uh, just, but we that's most probably one of the worst uh, performances we've put in this season which um, I agree doesn't give you much confidence but you've um, yeah I feel like you've been watching that all season from your side and I don't know how much longer Alex Neal's got in the job to be honest I don't know how well backed he is by your by your board but I just can't see that lasting much longer I appreciate you've you have a brand of football that, that everybody knows about in Stoke but um, you know with the recent departures of, of Tony Mowbray and and um, Michael Duff I feel like Alex Neal might be the next one out of the door um, a club like yourself shouldn't be that low in the table and, should, and definitely shouldn't be playing um, that badly um, anyway where am I going with this um, we were rubbish you were also rubbish I think it's fair to say uh, summarised with a fairly rubbish game but uh, Adam Randall popping up 97th minute to send Hope Park delirious um, it's just a, a fantastic way to win that game and, uh, and I appreciate it's a long way for you guys to go uh, for such a cruel ending um, but maybe that speeds up your process of, of getting somebody else in which I feel like you lot desperately deserve and won uh, if, I, if I'm reading your sentiments on on Twitter properly but you know, there's not much else to say about that game really is there it was just a bit of a shocker all round it's not one apart from that, that last minute winner like I said it's not one that I don't think either team are going to look back on um, in the end of season highlights reel so yeah that's everything for me not really added much there but enjoy cheers guys Aaron thank you very much uh, yeah no doubt that you're extremely happy mate so uh, congratulations to you anyway you know Luke we, we're we're not a team who uh, go and win last minute goals to, to sneak games although our Obviously, our opposition this weekend, uh, we did that too, uh, not too long ago. But uh, it feels like it's been a long time since we uh, we did that to somebody else. So, obviously, congratulations to you. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll obviously see you again soon. Um, 
And one thing I want to do as well is just naturally following on for this. So we've got some audio. So we, we put out another post um, asking if anyone had any thoughts on, uh, of course, the, the game, Alex Neal and everything like that. So um, a regular listener, Nathan, he's been in touch as well with his thoughts on uh, this weekend's game. So let's have a quick listen to what he had to say about things. Hey, up, lads. It's uh, Nate Bailey. I'm not really one to ask to sack a manager this early in the season, but I'm finding it really hard to pay attention to any of the games at the moment. We score, then we lose, or we concede and lose, and then concede and lose. We have no back line, even though we have some of the best defenders in the league. That's my opinion. We have no shape, no format. A manager should keep our team together and keep the lads happy, keep our shape, keep us a team. We have a little run that makes us think that we actually know what is going on when realistically we played okay. When we can all say that we actually played okay. There's no cat and owl's chance we are going up. And under this current regime, we're only going to go down. We'll lose more gates, more merchandise, more everything. The passion will go from our fans, our football family. I believe Alex Neal has done his job and now we need a new direction for his club. Either Alex can push us there instantly or we push him out. But there's only one thing that I think we should do is still stick with the lads, not turn on the lads. Each player is a good player. That's why they play professional football. But we're only as good as the player that's in front of us that the player is next to us. The current regime helps the opposition capitalise on everything. Let's still sing loud and proud for Stoke, our lads, day in, day out, mile after mile. Come on, Stoke, let's go. Cheers, Nate. Thank you very much. Um, you know what? You you kind of ebb and flow during that audio for me. You're uh, you're Alex Neal out, then you're in, then you're undecided, then then you want him in. <laughs> I'm not quite sure which way you're going with that one, mate. But um, some really you know look great you know thoughts. You know you weren't sounding too impressed at times. You were right about you know lacking a bit of shape and being I guess inconsistent. Um, but you know you're clearly a, a passionate supporter, mate. And um, you know you mentioned about you know, passion leaving the club, and you know we need to stick with the lads. And I and I do a, a do agree i think you've you've you then go into the realms of you know if the players don't show something on the pitch the fans aren't going to get behind them now in the in the ideal world the fans would get them over the line the fans would jeer them up and i can't remember one song at our last home game it was dead and i think there's an element of of chicken and egg here um do the do the players and i think with stoke supporters not sure about you dan or, or laurie but it feels to me like we need the players to do something before we actually wake up as a fan base in terms of singing and songs. Earlier on the season, we were really, really vocal. I thought, you know, everyone was really enthused. Do you think it's just the nature of this season that's sucking all the the belief and the voice out of people? Or is it is that a bit harsh, maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, good, it's a good point you've made. And... and it wasn't really confusion of the last caller, but it's kind of we're all having battles with ourselves about yeah. what we feel in terms of the manager. And me personally, um, I'm in. I think he should stay. Uh, we need the team to be doing something to to roll up the fans 
and and get the blood boiling again and get get the songs going because I feel that the fans think that they're doing all the work. They're gonna they're singing the songs and the players aren't giving that energy back. And if it's not meant if it's not given back and it certainly hasn't been in the last uh week and a half, three matches, then um they're they're getting tired and uh, and the frustrations there as as I mentioned at the start of the pod, um they they need that energy. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, Dan, any thoughts? Um, yeah, I think I like the uh, stay behind the players part of that. That the um, you know, it's a bit of the Nathan in there. I think that's vital. I think we have got to stick with them, and like you said, there, you know, we do need to get get the atmosphere going again. It has been flat, but you know exactly when people are listening to this, they'll be screaming at the. You know, at their Alexas, at their phones, at their you know the 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 car radio, whatever they're listening to this on, they'll be screaming at it and going, "Well, the players need to do something to make us you know get the atmosphere going. They get if they do something, we'll be up for it." And it's that it's that situation until what has to happen first? Do the fans have to get going to get to try and push the players along, or do the, is it the players' jobs to? You know, to do something to get the fans excited off their seats and singing. Who, which one's the uh, you know the chicken and the egg scenario kind of thing? Is it who's who's going to instigate this? In my opinion, and it's just my opinion. I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but I think when your players are down, and I think they're very clearly down at the minute. I think the post-match things that happened at Plymouth, both at the ground at the train station, everything else. Have shown that there's a bit of a, you know, there's a, there's a very negative feeling around them at the minute. Um, they're going to be feeling low. There's, their confidence is going to be gone. The fans, if the fans go out there and then start chanting from minute one against Sheffield Wednesday and positive chants, getting behind the lads, singing, you know, making a great atmosphere. That is going to lift them. That's going to relieve a whole lot of pressure that's and baggage that's been building the last couple of weeks, and they're going to play with a lot more freedom. If they turn up and the first misplaced pass, there's booze, there's heckles, there's there's sacked in the morning, kneel out, um, you're not fit to wear the shirt, any of that business going on, it's just going to compound everything that's going on and make them shirts feel like ten stone weights around the neck. Mate, what a what a great yeah, what a great way of putting it. We could put that into the actual Sheffield Wednesday buddy preview, mate. That is, yeah, you are absolutely spot on. And I, I'm not going to comment on it because I'm going to come back to it um, on the Sheffield. But you know, you are you, you bang on, mate. Um, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on uh, because we've uh, we spent a long time on that. But uh, really interesting conversation, um, Dan. What's been happening on the uh, the news front this week from the the youth women and any other clubs you've uh, you've managed to find? Um, well, one thing I will just say is player of the month, uh, man of the match. First. Player of the, man of the match, of course. I apologise. Man of the match. Any man of the match? Any man of the match from you guys? Uh, every fan that went down to Plymouth and suffered. Did you vote for that one? Did you? I did. That, that, was, that was added on by uh, Will Barnish. So well done, Will. You got a big ten, got a whole ten votes on that one as well. Impressive. Plus um, one, <laughs> plus one on that. You got you voted for that as well. Well, 
in the actual votes we had, there were votes for Tyrese Campbell, Luke McNally, Ben Pearson. But the top three were 10% was Jack Bonham. Second, Josh Laurent was 17%. And then your overall runaway winner was Bay Jun Ho, 60% of the vote. So well done to Bay. Uh Ho, he got his second second in a row. They come in twos, don't they? Man, like, so that's the third or fourth time this season. Someone's won back to back. Um, player of the season. So Berger got is leading the way with two three eight. Larice two twelve. Travers two oh five. Uh, maybe that's why we didn't do very well at Plymouth because none of them three were on the <laughs> were on the pitch. One was on the bench. One was suspended, and one's that go back to Bournemouth. Um, fourth position now is Ben Pearson, 203. Uh, McNally is 189, and Vidigal is in six with 146 points. Player of the month for November, so obviously this was up to the end of the QPR game, finished with Jack Bonham winning it with 77 points, just ahead of Berger and Pearson in second and third. So there we go. Uh, was that some news and some under 18s, etc. now? So, under 18, last week's trip to Sunderland fell foul to the weather and has been rescheduled for the 23rd of March. Uh, this week, there is no game. So, the next in action in the Youth Cup tie at Bristol City, 14th of December, as we told you last week. However, it's now been confirmed that there's free entry to this match, but it's going to be played at Bristol City's High Performance Centre. So, it will not be taking place at Ashton Gate, like a lot of uh, FA Youth Cup ties are played at. So, yes, uh, it's going to be played at their high-performance centre. I think anyone who wants a ticket, uh, I think you go onto the Stoke site and you can find them on there. The under-21s, they also had no game last week. Uh, they have one game left this year, which is at home to Nottingham Forest on Monday the 18th of December. So a little bit of a wait there yet for that. Uh, that's kicking off at 7pm at St George's Park. Now, the women, so they had their sort of showpiece match, if you like, against Nottingham Forest last Sunday at the Bet365 Stadium. Um, they went 1-0 down quite early, and after nine minutes, Heidi Logan got her tenth of the season, pulled the level, and then Forrest sort of went through the gears a bit and ended up winning by five goals to one in the end. Um, I did, I'll be honest, I didn't see the match myself, but I've seen a couple of reports and they both said that the scoreline flattered Forrest. Not saying they didn't deserve to win, but it they, they wasn't really a 5-1 game either. Um, maybe a couple of goals would probably be a fairer result. Uh, they, the women have the chance to round off their year uh, with a game at the Gateshead Stadium versus Newcastle on Sunday, kicking off at 2pm, and that is their FA Cup third round match. It's going to be a very tough one. They've already lost to Newcastle away uh, this season. So, yes, I think, uh, yeah, I think they're unbeaten as well, the Newcastle women's side. So let's hope um, let's hope for a uh, yes a, a nice positive upset in the FA Women's Cup and getting through to a, a bumper fourth round tie hopefully. So talking of FA Cup third round ties, we the men's team we that's well, that's not nice is it? <laughs> so talking of FA Cup third round ties, uh, the men's team have also had theirs been drawn now and they are going to be at home to Brighton. Uh, I don't know about you guys, I can't remember ever playing the same team back-to-back in two FA Cup ties. Because they knocked us out no. last year, and then this is the next sort of tie we're going to be playing, isn't it? It's Brighton at home again. 
Can you? Yeah, and I seem to remember last time we played Brighton. I mean, we actually played really bloody well that day. Like we, I've never seen a team put absolutely ninety minutes of pressing into an opposition, which was the only way you were going to stop Brighton. Um, and we were, I think, we, did we lose one nil? I think we, we we shouldn't have lost that game. Um, no, it was one nil, and didn't we have a couple of chances? Yeah, remember, Twanzeeb had a sort of right in front of goal once. He just skimmed past him or something, and um, yeah, I think they were. We really gave them a run for the money, didn't we, that night? Yeah, it was, that, it was really weird, that win. I can't see this team doing that. Um, so I'm, I mean, we'll we'll obviously get to it when the actual time comes. But Brutal. I was hoping for an easier fixture than that. If I'm quite honest with you, um, I mean that's was out of the third round. I'm going to say that right now. We're out. You were hoping for Vale. You were. I was hoping for Vale. Like I'll, I'll admit, there's, it's a it's a lose lose situation. We all know that, right? Um, it's just thought. Yeah, you know, it's it gives some a spark to the season, a spark that we simply haven't had to be honest, for a while. So I was just thinking it just gives the fans something to get their teeth into more than anything else. And we don't mean people biting veil fans, by the way. Uh, not None of that nonsense. Um, but it's just been nice to have something to shout about for the season. But, oh, uh, well, uh, we need to concentrate on staying in this league, never mind but the FA Cup, unfortunately. I know what your game was. You were curious as to how many podcast listeners we get listened to with a Pottery's Derby. Oh, could you imagine that and getting a Veil podcast on, Dan? That would have been interesting. <laughs> right, back to the news. Mark Moniessa, he will be the special guest at Swansea, the home game on Tuesday. I think a few people have said to bring him out before the match, not at half-time. Uh, I can see, I think he'll be at half-time, won't he? Whether he'll be half-empty. Um which is a shame, really. But yes, he will be there on Tuesday, so which will all be much applause for him, no doubt. Lovely to see another one of the Amigos back. Um, good news. Well, I say good news. I don't think I'm sure they've all been suspended now. But the five yellow card suspension at Amnesty has come into play. So if you get your fifth yellow card now, you will not receive a one-match ban. To receive a ban, you must get to ten. So, uh, challenge accepted, Ben Pearson says. And he's, he's quite close, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, he's going to pick that one up on uh, the weekend on Sheffield Wednesday. We know it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice Christmas off. Referee's got one with his name on it. I tell you what, just you wait, right? The amount of yellows and red cards this weekend is going to increase massively. The, the amount of people are going to want Christmas off. It, it happens every year. Ben is 100% asking for Christmas off, isn't he? <laughs> I'm saving this 10th yellow. I need time. It just right. West Brom away. Get me the 26th and the 29th off. Go on. <laughs> um, right, so we have got a trialist. Did you know we've got a player on trial? Into Miami's 19-year-old left-back, Noah Allen, is on trial. So, obviously, he's been playing with Lionel Messi, has been the main report. That's how he's been sold. <laughs> Lionel Messi's teammate is on trial with Stoke. Uh, but he also was there when Ryan Shawcross was there as well. And, obviously, Ryan Shawcross now being the under-18s sort of manager slash assistant manager, whatever. He's, uh, yeah, he's um, sort of brought helps. I think he's helped to bring him across. He's on a trial over here. He played 19 out of 34 games in the MLS last year. So he's got a little bit of pedigree, not as if he's, you know, got nothing about him. So yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, it's definitely an area I think we can we can take a young lad in, can't we? 
that'll be a good opportunity for him. Um, let's see if he can deal with the physicality of the league. Um, if if he does impress and does well in training and he's he's got the attributes, why not? Yeah, for sure. Um, any other business? So, Tony Mowbray and Michael Duff, Sunderland and Swansea, both got fired this week. The irony of Tony Mowbray leaving Sunderland after we stole Alex Neal from there and he replaced him and then being ninth in the league after reaching the playoffs and us finishing 16th and now being 20th. It's not been lost on some, has it? Quite a few people have, have, have sort of scratching their heads and going, well, why is our manager still here? I personally think that's a very, very harsh sacking, although I am not in the northeast, I am not in Sunderland, I'm not on Wearside, so I do not know the, the complete story behind it. There may be a lot going on that we do not know about, um, that maybe they're close to, you know, with the finger on the pulse do. Uh, Michael Duff, that seems ridiculous, y'all, because he's only, he's only been there since September, so... How can he sack a manager who hasn't even had a, a transfer day of a window yet? Um, the thing there is he's he's gone in there and I think Swansea have got very precious about how they like to play football and Michael Duff is not that kind of manager. Yeah, well, um, yeah, you're right. People did not... Uh... Did not waste an opportunity to bring um, Alex Neal up, of course. Um, and by the way, I do have some extra news that I've seen just before we recorded on here. Um, you know, we were complaining about Coventry City and their £37 tickets. Um, did you guys know that Man City, and I know this is Man City, right, but they're playing Sheffield United, I think, a week after the Champions League. Do you know how much and that they're charging uh, for a ticket for that game? Either of you know? Have you have you seen it? No, not seen that. Okay, sixty-one quid. Are you serious? Like, I don't what, miss being yeah. ripped off. I tell you, but sixty-one quid for one ticket to watch Sheffield United versus Man City. Ridiculous, absolutely insane. So, I mean, no doubt they'll they'll sell a lot of tickets on there but um if that's what they're going to charge I, I wouldn't i wouldn't flip and pay it anyone who does is a mug and just feeds the beast even more so yeah i just thought I'd bring that up bloody ridiculous um any more news dan anything before we move on to the uh the, the chef where's the game uh no that's everything all right, lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, so, okay, well, uh, I don't know whether we want to do this or not, but we're, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, so let's look at Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. So then, boys, um, 
bloody big game this this is this is one of the biggest games for a while and it's just crazy it's Sheffield Wednesday versus Stoke um I think for me not only do we need to to win we need to win comfortably I think a 1-0 win despite the fact it's a win wouldn't really do an awful lot for Alex Neil um I think if if we don't win this game that that's a draw or a loss I think it's going to be a very hostile, horrible, horrible place come five o'clock. I think Alex Neal desperately needs to win this one. He's got no room for anything less than three points. And I'd argue and say he needs to win by two or three goals and have a good performance in the process, which is easier said than done. Because as we know, we've just come off the back of what QPR, Plymouth and then Sheffield. And I said weeks ago, if... We go into these three games having, you know, had a crap previous three or four games. If we come into these and we don't, you know, we lose both and then we go to Sheffield and we lose at Sheffield, that I think he will be in serious, serious danger of being sacked because I just think the whole stadium's going to turn. Um, and obviously, if you look at like Sheffield, Dan, I know you'll, you'll no doubt have some stats for us, but. Um, Laurie, if you look at their, their results, mate, they drew 1-1 versus Leicester, which is a really good result. Um, and then they followed that up with a 3-1 win versus Blackburn. You know, two teams that you would not, never have have expected them. I think we lost to both of them, didn't we, if I remember rightly? Um, like, they're not teams that you would expect Sheffield to to go and, and get some really good results. And to think that they did that with 36 and 32% possession... Is this the exact game, Laurie, that we absolutely could do without? Because if they're going to sit back and have no possession and still be clinical at the other end when when the time matters, surely this is the last game we want right now? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a nightmare, isn't it? Nobody likes playing uh, bottom of the table anyways. It tends to be a banana skin. Um, And then if you look at their stats as well in, in away games, nine matches eight losses, one draw, it um, kind of spells a bit of a disaster uh, day for us in terms of the omens. Um, You'd like to think it'd be a comfortable home win. Um, Our our home form is is pretty good. Well, yeah, it's very good. So you'd like to think so, but um, yeah, I, I anticipate I anticipate it to be to be a scrappy affair, and the the, the players uh, are going to be need to be in sync with the fans. Uh, as you've said, the the fans will turn on them if if it's looking shaky at, at half time. I, I'm also wondering what sort of a gate we're going to be having on Saturday. Are fans going to really uh, rally the troops and and get down there and and sing Delilahs and we'll be with yous. Uh, all day long, or are they going to be a little bit more subdued? Um, come on, boys, you entertain us, and then we'll sing for you, as we as we mentioned previously. But um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely not one based on their last two results that you would you would want to play. But then you look at their away form and you think. Yeah, it, it, it's more positive for us. Uh, I would say as well, I, I'm a great believer in in kind of previous games with them, and it, it's it's quite good in our favour at home against Chef Wed. But you never know. You never know, Mike. 
Well, against QPR, mate, just to let me just remind you, I think there were 11 or 12 games at home without a win, um, and they still beat us. And Sheffield Wednesday are nine games away from home without a win. Sheffield Wednesday can do it. And I, I can't believe I'm sitting here feeling downhearted about this weekend's game. Like, I should be going into this with full of confidence. So I think that's the thing for me. Like, we mentioned about a good home form. Actually, we're 17th in the table for home form. It's actually not that good. I mean, they're bottom of the waveform, granted, but um, I mean, I mean, Dan, what, what do you think about this game? Do you think this is exactly the game we don't need right now, or are you a, you you're, you're normally Mister you know Mister Positive? So, what, what's your thoughts? I'll tell you whether it was the right game for us at five o'clock on Saturday. How does that go? No, that's cheating. What are your thoughts now, please? <laughs> it's. It's potentially a perfect match because it's potentially a game where we can dominate, um, control, and if we play to the best of our ability, we should win and win comfortably. Two, three goals, maybe. It also has the entire ingredients for them to score an early goal, get completely back, defend for their lives, and be a very, very frustrating afternoon. And I'm telling you, it would probably only take that one goal for the switch to click. And then, you know, God knows what the atmosphere will be like then. And it's just going to heat more pressure into it. If anything if that does happen, the pressure on the players then to come back and get into the game is going to be immense. So it all really, again, as so many games do at this level, it, it all a lot of it hitches on that first goal. I mean, I say that the last two games, you know, I mean, we scored first against Plymouth, didn't we? Went one 0 up, and then still lost. The first goal wasn't that important in that game, but yeah, actually, I think for me, we need to get the first goal. I think there's. I'd say though, Dan, this is this is what bothered me because I looked I looked at the stats and stuff. You know, earlier on, I did a couple of Sheffield Wednesday podcasts, and I was looking at their their recent form, and as I mentioned the games earlier, and I mentioned their possession. I think the reason I said, like I say, why I was talking about it not being the ideal game, is because we know what's going to happen in typical Stoke fashion. We will absolutely do what you just said in terms of having more possession and taking the game to them. Well, it doesn't make a difference what we've been doing recently on the on the offensive front because they've put teams have put like two banks of four behind, and we can't break them down. Not I can't. We just don't do it at all. So this is what I mean. Like the worst thing, as you rightly point out, what we, what could happen is, let's say we attack them, they get a corner, they're crap on corners. They I don't think they've scored from a corner. I think I was told earlier on. So. We've liked to concede goals from a corner. We've proved that on multiple occasions. So wouldn't it be typical that we concede a corner? They get a goal up early on. Like you said, the fans start turning. The atmosphere goes bad. The players are feeling really, really heavy, uh, to use your own words. Um, and then we try and batter them, and we we batter them possession-wise for the rest of the game, and we still don't make it through. This is just the way that I, I can see this game coming out of my head. And I really wish... Like normal, I could come out and start being really, really positive. But this is just how I see the game going. And that, that's what worries me, that they are going to be letting us have all the possession. So what's going to change to make us all of a sudden break them down and be that one team that we do break down? Are we just going to be banking on the fact that 
they're not very good apparently and we've got the better players. It doesn't seem to help us all the time that, but I I just hope we find a spark. Alex Neal's seen something somewhere and can tweak something because I think team-wise, you can't really change an awful lot. I mean, obviously, Berger's back, isn't he? Um, what, maybe Junior to go right back instead of Henry? Other than that, I don't really see what more. I mean, Stevens is he, is he back? So, again, Stevens, there's probably three substitutions. I wouldn't say any of them are going to be particularly game-changing sub- you know, changes. So... I just hope we can find something with, you know, the guys who are paid fortunes to figure this stuff out, figure it out, because this is what's going to happen. They're going to come and sit back and we're going to have to hit them on the break. That, that, that's the way. I, 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 so before we carry on the ramble, I was asked earlier, how can we, how can they basically beat us? Um, and my simple answer was, do exactly what I've just explained. Just sit back. Wait, basically saying like you, you, you're the home team. Surely you're going to come at us. And I'm like, look, if you want to win this game, um, just sit back. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't do anything else. Just sit back. That's where my confidence is right now with this team. <laughs> I think teams don't have to do their homework with Stoke, do they? They, they know exactly what they're going to get. It does what it says on the tin. Stoke look to sucker punch teams and. Uh, as the away game, uh, as the away team, they're not going to come out against us. They're going to be quite happy, as you've mentioned. Um, I anticipate a four-five-one from them, uh, formation-wise, and uh, they they will sit in a low block. Let Stoke have the ball. They will. Um, Stoke will make an error, and they will give us the ball back, and we'll we'll sucker punch them. Or as you might, uh, as you've well mentioned, perhaps a set piece uh, where we can be a little bit fragile. Um, our our one to one marking's been very poor this year. Um, you you've mentioned some set piece goals that were conceded off of corners. Um, very disappointing. So yeah, um, Stoke Stoke are very fragile. Um, when in possession, and that's so scary, where you can be you can be fragile in possession, and and teams are potentially confident in recycling the ball and getting the goal off of you. So, how do we win this game, boys? Before we go into stats and stuff like that, what what do we need to do to to get this over the line? Whether it's pretty or not, what do, what what needs to change? I actually think that a lot of the time we, we I was saying there we get sucker punched by the opposition. We we'll, they'll sit back, they'll sit back. We'll come on to them, we'll push everybody forward, and then they'll get the ball and go bang, 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 and they're in and they score. I don't think Sheffield Wednesday have got those type of players very much. Maybe a one or two, but you know the striker is a big, big bust of strikers. They've got a lot of older play experienced players. You know, they, they run the game through Barry Bannon in midfield. They're not a dynamic side as such, are they? They're not a side that breaks on you quick and, you know, moves the ball quickly. Which is why I think they struggle in this division, this season, especially this season. So, to me, we may just hit lucky in that one as well. In that our main weakness does not play in with their game and their strengths. Fair point. Um, Laurie, what, what do you think we need to do to, to win this one, mate? Pretty much what I'd say, 
Dan's good observation there, actually. Yeah, it was a good observation. The the final ball into the box needs to be better. Our biggest issue this season is um, ball retention, but then getting into the final third and having quality on the delivery into the box or the final pass, the the punchy uh, line-breaking pass or either the low cross, the whipped cross, um, it into the into the forward to um, where we can execute. It hasn't been good enough. Um, also, well, you could probably say the first few games we were we were converting, but ever since then, really. So, uh, yeah, for me, um, end products on the final ball got to be better, and and then we've got to execute. Yeah, absolutely fine. Um, great. Okay. Well, uh, Dan, hit us with some stats, mate. No doubt you've been busy. Of course, naturally. Uh, 97 meetings with Sheffield Wednesday, 35 wins, 24 draws, 38 defeats. At home, 48 meetings, 24 wins, 11 draws, and just 13 losses. In recent times, uh, we were unbeaten at home since 2007 at Sheffield Wednesday, which is three wins and a draw in that time. But before that, we only had one win going back to 1984, which was uh, two draws and two losses in that time. Now, you may remember 2019, 26th of December, we had two injury time goals, including a 97th minute winner to win 3-2 against Sheffield Wednesday at home, didn't we? Vokesy. We did, absolutely. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Tyrese with the volley and then Voxy with a scramble. Yeah. Yeah, and that took us off the bottom of the league. Yeah. Well, 17 years earlier, 28th of December, Sheffield Wednesday at home, Brynjar Gunnarsson scored a 94th minute winner to win the game 3 2 to take Stoke off the bottom of the table in the championship. <laughs> um. So those are the, those are two December meetings. Would you take a three-two injury time winner in this game? I think Alex. Imagine imagine Alex Neal if we score like a ninety-six minute winner to win the game three-two. I reckon he'll strip off and run on the pitch and and <laughs> and, and start. Um, I don't know. I, I saw best be careful where I go with this. Uh, I think <laughs> I, let's leave it there. You, you get my point. <laughs> Jump into the booth then. Jump, do it, do it a a cantonar kick, but obviously um, miss with the foot and end up hitting them with something else. That would be quite interesting. <laughs> That'd be on the you know, the highlights from from the evening, wouldn't it? <laughs> Alex Neal goes nuts and tea bags fans. <laughs> you got a sick, sick mind, young man. <laughs> oh, see, see where that went south very quickly, didn't it? I hate that. I hate that at the editing floor. <laughs> uh, no, it's going to be in the in the final edit. <laughs> um, Alex Neal against Sheffield Wednesday. So he's he's played them fourteen times, and actually this fifteenth meeting will be will mean he'll have met Sheffield Wednesday more times as a manager than any other club. Six wins, three draws, five defeats. At home though, seven games, five wins, two draws, not a single defeat, and five clean sheets in them seven games. He also beat Sheffield Wednesday with Sunderland in 2022, a League One playoff semi-finals, winning at home and then drawing away. Uh, Alex Neal versus Danny Rawl, who is the Sheffield Wednesday manager, and Rawl versus Stoke, 
of course, no meetings because the guy's only just started his managerial career and is uh, about just uh, about a couple of months ago, didn't he? Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Stoke are 17th in the home form table with 13 points. Uh, they've only scored two or more goals in a home league game once since the opening day of the season, which is terrible. Cheers, it's nearly Christmas. <laughs> Um, Sheffield Wednesday's away form, like you said, 24th, with one singular point. They have six consecutive away defeats. Uh, and actually, last time out, they lost 2-1 away at Birmingham. They took the lead and still lost again 2-1. But that goal was the first time they'd scored away from home in 599 minutes. So, yeah, they don't score many away. They didn't score many at home either, to be honest, but they definitely didn't score many away. Uh, last five matches, they are 21st in the form team with four points. Uh, all those four points have come from the last two games, though. We've had a win and a draw at home. Uh, we are 24th in the form table for the last five games with two points, uh, which means that in three games, we've gone from third to 24th in that table. Jesus. <laughs> uh, Sheppy Wednesday have the second oldest squad in the league, an average age of 28.2. Uh, Stoke are 14th with a youthful 26.5. Uh, Stoke have used 30 players this season, which is more than anyone else in the league after Lewis Baker made his first appearance in the campaign at the weekend. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday are quite high in that as well with 20, uh, 28 uh, players. Only Leeds with 29 uh, between them and Stoke. Uh, Stoke have had more yellow cards than anyone in the league with 51. Sheffield Wednesday is at 10th in the West with 42. Sheffield Wednesday have conceded a league high four penalties this season. Stoke have conceded three. I've been awarded none, by the way, just remind you. (laughs) Yeah, neither of us, neither side's been awarded one. So the referee's got a dilemma to make. Neither of the season's side get penalties, but they concede them. So what am I going to do here? (laughs) Um, Sheffield Wednesday have conceded a league high two own goals this season as well. Um, where we've conceded just a one, which is obviously Ben Pearson was at QPR. Um, Sheffield Wednesday now, I meant, you mentioned corners earlier on, didn't you? Sheffield Wednesday have scored off three set pieces this season, but they've only scored one goal with a header and only once have they scored from outside the box all season. Those are my stats mm. on the match. Would you like referee stats? Um... Yes, it surely can't be as bad as, like, QPR, can it? (laughs) So the referee is a David Coote. He is a Premier League referee. He's refereed six games a season, one in the Championship, which was Sunderland's 5-0 win against Southampton, and five Premier League matches, in which time he has given 21 yellows, one red, uh, and four penalties in six games. Maybe that's down to VAR, though. You don't know, do you? VAR may have got involved and said that's a penalty. Change your mind there, mate. Four home wins, one draw, one defeat. Now, he's ref Stoke on three occasions. He's given us two yellows, no reds, one penalty against us, no penalties for us, one win, one draw, and one defeat. Uh, the last time he ref Stoke, Jack Bonham, look away now. 2-1 away defeat at Reading last season. The bottom nightmare when he came rushing out of his oh. goal. And Jack, Lucas Yao went, oh, cheers, mate. I'll just... That was open. a shocker. Yeah. It was the uh, the Bonham flincher once it early doors. 
But yeah, that was the last time he ref Stoke. Uh, he's ref Sheffield Wednesday 11 times, giving them 23 yellows, one red, no penalties against, no penalties for, four wins, three draws, four defeats. Uh, they've only got three points, though, from six away games that he's ref them in. Um, the last time he ref them was a nil-nil draw against Millwall in February 2020, so a long time ago. Uh, he averages, though, 27.33 fouls per game this season, which, for me, feels like quite a lot of fouls per game. Mm. Should we add in, Dan, each yeah. week, should we add in how many times a referee, the particular referee is sent off Pearson? That, that might <laughs> be a good one as well. This ref has awarded Ben Pearson six yellows in eight games. <laughs> He's refed against him. Um, just out of interest, Ben Pierce hasn't been sent off this season. In fact, have we had any red cards this season? Try to remember. We have, other than the Ender Stevens ones. That was the only one. That's the only one. Okay. So, are we going to start this thing where Ben Pearson doesn't get sent off again? Because he he almost did it forwards for the whole season last year, and I was I was loving that. Um, so, do you think he can go this season without a red card, despite all the yellows? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Let's go with it. Fifty <laughs> quid on it. The way he's going, he's going to end up after season suspended with yellow cards, so we might just get there. <laughs> All the games I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and get odds on that, and I'll, I'll let you know what they're going to be, everyone, next week. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they'll be pretty decent, actually, considering the amount of cards he does pick up. Um, yeah, just two last things on David Coote. It is his first time that he's been refing at the Bet365 Stadium, and also uh, he did ref the EFL Cup final last season between Man United and Newcastle. So maybe after all the shit decisions we've had, pardon my language, and all the crap referees, maybe the FA have gone. Shall we? Shall we send one of the what decent ones that we've got in? Just, just you know, so they've got a good ref. Don't one. jinx it. Do not um, it. He could have a shocker. We want seven penalties, please, to make up for all the ones we haven't been given. How about that? But that's um, it. They'll give they'll give us a couple of penalties when we're like three 0 up in a game or something. When they like not when they hardly matter, and they'll go, "Well, he's got them penalties now. What are you complaining about?" Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, lovely. Well, thanks so much for that. Now uh, you you guys are probably sick of listening to our voices for a minute, so we're going to give you a few minutes off. Uh, we've got Graham McGarry with his prediction, and we've also got some opposition audio from James, who's from the Wednesday Till I Die uh, podcast. So we're going to hear from both of them uh, now, and then we'll go into our team selections and score predictions. So um, let's hear from Graham and James. Well, you Potter predictors, two of the lowest scorers in the championship go head-to-head this Saturday afternoon at the Bet365 Stadium when Stoke City take on Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, a side that have been anchored at the foot of the table for the majority of the season, just showing signs of improvement, but still a long, long way away from being safe. For Stoke City, of course, it's about time they've got some results together. They've had a little spell where they've started to win games, but now it's gone the opposite way. And Alex Neal will be hoping that the home crowd will stick with them and get behind the players so that they can turn their season around. We're entering that crucial time of the festive fixture programme where a lot is at stake and there's nothing more at stake than the biggest three points of the weekend when Stoke City take on Sheffield Wednesday in the Championship for you in those red and white striped shirts who followed Stoke City. 
With it being the, the two lowest scorers in the championship, or two of the lowest scorers in the championship, it's going to be difficult to predict. Surely there can't be a hat full of goals. It can't be anything like Kenilworth Road in the week when it was 4-3 to Arsenal in the 97th minute. Can it? Well, I think there will be goals, and I think Stoke are going to win it by Stoke City winning three goals to one. Hi, this is James from the Wednesday Tie-Dye podcast. Um, yeah, looking ahead to uh, to Saturday's game, um, obviously we've come off the back of two great results for us. Obviously we kept uh, Leicester to a 1-1 draw in midweek last week and then obviously followed that up with a uh, with a 3-1 win against Blackburn, which, you know, Blackburn are a, a very good side, which you found out uh, only a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, the, the performances since Danny Rule has come in have been have been brilliant. To be fair, um, a, a breath of fresh air, really. Obviously, you know the the, the performances and results under Cisco were absolutely awful. Um, you know, no win in the in his ten games that he was in charge, and yeah, Danny Rill's been you know dealt a pretty poor hand really with the squad that he's got, the confidence that the players had, which was absolutely nil. Um, and yeah, players that aren't his players either. Obviously, he's not had a transfer window to bring anyone in. He's had to play and do something with the players that he's been given with. And I think he's done fantastic so far. Um, he's mentioned that the uh, the fitness wasn't quite there. I think that was evident to see. Uh, we like to play on the front foot, um, as most teams in the Championship do. Uh, pressing very, very high. Pressing as a team, pressing as a unit. And in the first couple of games under Daniel Real, we just couldn't quite do that. You know, we got to 60 minutes and the performance just fell off a cliff. Um, but I think international break is normally a, you know, a time that we, as football fans, hate. But I think it was an opportunity for... For Danny Real to have what 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 he called was like a a bit of a a, a mini pre season, and uh, since the international break, we've come back a lot better. All right, we lost to to Birmingham, um, but we've we've now scored in three consecutive games, which might not seem a lot, but we've only scored uh, twelve goals so far this season, uh, and at the weekend that was the first time that we scored three goals all season as well. So um, the confidence in front of goal is. He's certainly coming back, which is good to see. Josh Windass got his first goal of the season after, I think, 30 attempts on goal, I think it is, or 30 shots that he's had so far this season. So, you know, he's been peppering in the goal. You know, it's just not quite been coming off for him. So he's obviously going to have a lot of confidence. Um, Bailey Kadamatri is certainly one to watch. Uh, he's only um, had two starts this season. Those have come in the last two games. Nineteen-year-old, um, come from the from the academy. Um, scored his first senior goal at the weekend. Uh, five minutes in to to open the scoring. So yeah, he's certainly one to to look out for. He, he's um, he's raw. He likes to run a lot. Um, I wouldn't say he's the, the the fastest player in the world. He has got some pace about him, but he'll he'll just keep running and running, not afraid to close down, close your keeper down, close the close the defenders down, and be that kind of you know leading from the front and defending from the front as well. So, um, in terms of how I feel like the game's going to go on Saturday, I, I think that it's. <laughs> probably a good time to play you you know you're off the back of three defeats we're off the back of you know a win and the confidence even though we're bottom of the league will be probably the highest that it's ever been all season um you know, I, i've heard that it's quite at the bet 365 stadium at the moment and if we can get that first goal uh, i think it will be quite telling um 
you know, I think the first goal in any game is vile, but you know, more more so than ever props in in the game on Saturday. I think we'll probably field a very, very similar side to the to the one that played against Blackburn. Um Dominic Iorfa went off injured after uh, after a couple of minutes. So uh, probably to see Liam Palmer step into that role as he did at the weekend. Um we started off playing a, a bit of a you know a four two three one, I think you could call it, or or maybe a four one four one formation um uh, but then we switched to a back five at half time uh, based on what Blackburn did I think we'll probably start very similar to how we started the game against Blackburn and, and go for a back four I think that's kind of what he wants to do um, rather than go to the, that back five um, but yeah we'll see we'll see what happens on Saturday I, I'm probably going into this game with a lot more confidence than, than I would have perhaps a couple of weeks ago um, you know a draw against Leicester a win against Blackburn we've got three big games coming up Obviously, this is, can we call it a six-pointer so early on in the season? Uh, it's a, certainly a big game. We can, the gap to safety could go down to eight with a win against yourselves. But we've got Norwich in midweek, who are, all right, they've picked up a little bit of form. But then we've also got QPR, which is a definite six-pointer uh, the weekend after. So it is a big, massive three games. If we if we win on Saturday, it will be the first time that we've recorded back-to-back wins uh, so far this season. Uh, so it's it is huge. Um, I, I would take a point um, if you offered it me tomorrow, um, but I think really we've got to go there for the win, uh, and I feel like we could probably take the win as well. Um, I, I would say a two-nil win on Saturday if you had to pin me to a score. Uh, yep, yeah, thanks very much. All the best for the rest of the season, uh, but fingers crossed. We can take three points off you and make it four defeats in a row for you boys on uh, on Saturday. Cheers, chaps. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm hoping to be top of the uh, leaderboard sometime soon. I mean, Graham, you've been running away with it and quite annoying me, to be to be quite honest with you. Oh, you keep getting it so accurate. Um, so uh, yeah, not not too bad. And and James, thanks uh, for for the audio. I know you're not overly confident, but um, still, yeah, you'll yeah. again, like I said to you earlier on, I think you'll be fine. Uh, unfortunately, um, but yeah, thanks very much. We'll catch up with you after the game to get your thoughts as well. Um, Dan, I'm going to come to you first this week for team selections, mate. Uh, are you making any major changes from the team that lined up uh, against Plymouth at the weekend? Well, I've got three questions that I ask myself with this team. Okay. First one, Hoover, Gooch or Junior at right back? Junior, 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 Junior times 10, yeah. Parker or Rose, Loretta or Berger? So Rose for me, because I don't, I mean, he wasn't great, but he's he's not been dreadful. I think Clark has not really proven anything. Um, Loren or Berger, Berger for me, because I think he he can finish uh, better than Loren does, and he gets he's not afraid to pull the trigger. So we need someone to do that. Right. Well, I've gone for bottom and goal. I thought Henry, he had a decent game at the weekend. I'll be fair to him. I thought he played all right. I don't I don't think there was much hate towards him. Um, Maybe the fact he was dropped at QPR got his head screwed back on, so he gets this game. But he is walking a very much he is walking a very thin tightrope at the minute. And if it was that he had a bit of a mare, then Swansea is definitely going to see Junior coming in for me at right back. So yeah, the there's Henry, and the floor is yours to go and have the the match of your career so far to shut everybody up. 
Um, Stevens is back in at left back. Uh, McNally is obviously in defence, and I've gone Clark with him. Clark, that's deliberated either way. Thought, yeah, he's had a couple of games. He's now had a week off to sort of you know uh, digest what's happened and and you sort of you know re sort of get re, you know rebuild his legs if you like after playing 180 minutes in in just a few days. And now I'm thinking, looking at their strikers, I think you obviously got a big lump. If if he goes off, the other big lump, Lee Gregory, somebody we know all too well, probably come on. I think that's more suited to Clark. I think he will enjoy that kind of thing. So, um, and sort of play to his strengths. So he that's where he plays there. Pearson, obviously in midfield. Berger won the patch for me. I thought Loren had a very good game. I'll be honest. I thought he played well at Plymouth, um, but not enough to keep Berger out the side. Unfortunately, um. Berger just got a one-match ban for five yards. It wasn't as if he was dropped for a poor performance. It wasn't as if he got a stupid red. He just accumulated five yards. And as a midfielder, if you just accumulate five yards over 20-odd games, it's not like a disgraceful act. Oh, my God, he's so ill-disciplined. Nothing like that. So, for me, he deserves to come back in. Uh, John Ho will be leading the attacking threat from the midfield, maybe playing sort of a 10 role. Um for me, I think he, he's done more than enough to keep Johnson out. I think he's now starting to look a bit of a player now. So again, last two, three matches, he's getting a run of games. He's got players around him, and there's now the four of them seem to be um, playing together. To me, I'm keeping obviously Campbell Vidal and my up front, and those four. But with the third game in a row, they've played together, and I think the more they do that, the more you'll see them click, more they'll work each other's games out, and then. In time, in a couple of games, probably by the end of the year, you'll start to see some real good interchange between these players, I'm sure, because they are four very talented footballers, very skillful players, full of flair, and I think they'll all enjoy playing with each other. And some of the stuff that we may see if these four click when they start to learn each other is going to be really entertaining. So, yeah, that's where I'm going. Thanks, mate. Uh, Laurie, any major changes aside from what Dan's just mentioned? Yeah, um, not not too many, not too dissimilar. Uh, Bonham in goal, junior uh, at right back, he deserves a game. When he was playing for us, he was absolutely fantastic. Fans seemed to love him as well, loved his pattern, loved his attributes, deserved, deserved a game, I feel. I, I also feel that when he gets in there and he gets a run in games, he, he could be our right back for the rest of the season. Uh, deserves a shout. Uh, McNally plays next to Rose. Um, perhaps I was a bit too harsh on Clark at the start, but when he's when he's come in, it hasn't quite gone for him. He does need the match fitness, of course, but uh, McNally and Rose were getting the clean sheets um, together when we went through that run. I think those two need to go back and play next to one another. Uh, did we say Stevens is okay now out of um, out of suspension? Yeah. Was it a one-gamer? One-gamer, I think, yeah. Okay, yeah, great. So so Stevens comes comes back in. Uh, it's square pegs in square holes. Left footer needs to come back in. Pearson holding midfielder. Uh, Berger uh, next to him. Uh, Bay, uh, kind of top of that triangle in midfield, and then you've got Campbell right forward, uh, Vidigal left forward, uh, and Ryan Mai up front. So yeah, similarities to to Dan's. I, I think that four 
with with Bay just just coming off uh, from midfield could could be a threat on Saturday. And of course, we need attacking threats. We need goals. Uh, Nineteen goals this season. I, I believe in in the league. It, it's nowhere near enough. Uh, we need to start being more of a threat. Yeah, perfect. And just to save some time, my team is exactly the same as yours, Laurie. So, um, yeah, no no difference there um, at all. Um, score predictions. Uh, so we're going to hear firstly score predictions in the uh, Facebook chat, actually. So uh, Joe Topless says I'm going to go for a 2-1 Sheffield win. We score first again, but don't create anything afterwards. Uh, Tom Maller says he's going for a 2-0 win. Uh, May and Vidigal to get the goals there. Uh, we've then got Tom Cooper, who says uh, 2-0 Stoke is what his heart says, but his head says a 2-1 Wednesday win. Um, Jake says I'll take a 1-0 loss. I've really lost trust with Neil. It's quite um, a strong comment there. Um, and then we've also got a, a more comprehensive one. So Liam John's gone for a 4-1 win to Stoke. Uh, May got two, Vidigal and Campbell. And then Connor has gone Sheffield 1, Stoke nil. So a uh, bit of a mixed bag, a slight edge towards the defeats, um, unfortunately. And my prediction is a 1-0 Sheffield Wednesday win. I think exactly what Roy said will happen. We will sit back. Sorry, they will sit back. We'll attack them. We'll bang down the door for the vast majority of the game. They will get one opportunity and they'll take it. Um, I really hope they ram that down my throat come five o'clock on Saturday. I desperately do. I've just not had a good feeling about this all week, backed up with what we've experienced for the last six or seven games. So um, unfortunately, for a very rare occasion, I can't predict a Stoke win. Uh, Laurie, what are you going for? Uh, I really want to say a comfortable win. I, I just can't <laughs> want to, but can't. I'm going to say a very, very scrappy 1-0 uh, Stoke win, or, although my head was telling me it was going to be a score draw. Um, I'm going to delete that out of my mind and and say Stoke one Sheffield Wednesday nil. Cheers, mate. Uh, Dan, uh, two nil. I think Campbell and Mai get the goals. Okay, all right, fair enough. So a bit of a bit. Uh, well, I, I'm the, I'm the negative one this week, which is uh, not normal, but that's fine. I'm allowed to. I'm allowed a week, aren't I? You, you can give me this back. And um, yeah, I've given up on trying to finish top in all realistic uh, terms. I think Graham's going to nail that one. So I've got nothing to lose now about betting against us. And I, I mean, let's face it, I've been backing us to win week after week and it's not been going well. So I'll, I'll go with the reverse, see if I can be our, our lucky charm. Um, uh, there's just one more thing I'd just like, I'd just like to announce maybe or... or yeah. Sort of, uh, so... I, in September 1999, Stoke played Sheffield Wednesday in the League Cup at the Bet365 Stadium, then the Britannia Stadium. It was just before the Icelanders took over, like days before. I think mean, by possibly it even been the last game before they took over. And it ended 0-0. It was a night game. They, Sheffield Wednesday were in the Premier League at the time. Stoke were in, um, obviously, in sort of like you know, what's now League One. And I was the mascot that day. So this fixture was the one that I was the mascot in. 
Yeah. I can just see you now, mate, as, uh, as your current age with your shorts and, uh, you know, you strip on. Um, you know, the the £200 mascots. I know you wanted to do that as a forfeit for this season, but I can just see you now. Never mind when you were a kid. I'm glad I'm glad you were imagining me with me strip on and not, yeah. Not strip off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, this podcast has really gone down to the doldrums this season. And the funny thing was that I walked out with and, um, with Kevin Keane, and I was taller than him. <laughs> well, I've, I've never been. I've always wanted to do it when I was a kid, um, to be honest. But I mean, it's, it's a fortune. Then it was even more expensive. Now I think, I think I looked at it for Josh for for Cardiff, and it was two hundred pound. I think it was. Um, not mistaken, so it's 250 what, quid, something like what that. What I do remember, what I do remember is I, I was there, my mum and my mum's best friend, uh, was there with us. And my mum's best friend took quite a shine to Neil Cutler in the dressing room before the game, and they were all getting ready. She's like, Oh, it's <laughs> all right, don't <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I'll do. I still have that book, so I will try and find them photos, and uh, if I do, I'll pop them on Facebook and Twitter. Well, um, yeah, well, I look forward to seeing those pictures, Dan. It might give everyone a bit of a lift, you never know. Um, so, yes, let's move on. Uh, we've got the Super Six. So, uh, joint top this week, Stephen Priestley and Nigel Warren with 16 points each, so well done there. Uh, Dan, you're starting to claw it back a little bit this week uh, after a couple of poor results. You got 11 points uh, this week. I dropped a little bit, but still a quite respectable average of eight. Um, I had a couple of results that were um, a shame, really. I think a couple of results like one goal up, a bit like you last week, where one goal changes everything. So, yeah, not doing too great at the minute. But overall, that puts me 57th in the table. So not bad out of 161. So I'll, I'll take that. Um, 54th uh, for, um, for, well, for you, Dan. So you bought, you've jumped nine places, I think, actually. Um so, yeah, not doing too badly at all, mate. You've uh, very, very close. I mean, literally a few points in it. So uh, certainly certainly interesting anyway. Um, but, yeah, there's um, the similar names. I think Stephen, I have to check the overall ones for the whole season, but I think Stephen's up there near the top as well. Um, but either way, like, thanks for everyone for, for joining. We had somebody extra join this week, partway through the season, which is interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, if anyone's disappointed about not being in the the league just keep an eye out at the start of next season and we'll we'll put the pin in there and you can join uh to get involved as well um but the alternative if you're not really a super six fan if you are a uh, fantasy football fan then dan has the updates on the gaffer fantasy football i do indeed so last game week i maintain my position of 36 on the table Scoring 77 points, which took me to 1,029 for the season. Uh, the top man in that week, though, was Bjorn Lomland, who scored 133 points. Massive 32 more than anybody else got. The top three are three familiar, well, four actually familiar names. So Stokers Bay continues to lead the way on 1,577. At Jamie Gaffer, it continues to be second with 1495. And then the big scrap for the bronze medal position has now come to a tie. So at the Joe and Anthony Hobbs, they've been swapping, switch, switching and swapping 
last few weeks. Well, now they're both tied on 1,479 points. Uh, and before we move on to the very final bit, which is the quiz, which I know a lot of you uh, like to, to listen to, um, I've, I've picked up this little bit actually off the back of another podcast, which I was listening to this week. Nothing football related, but I thought it might be quite interesting for you, Dan. The little feature that I've kind of seen is actually, I thought we might be seeing where's the most obscure place that the podcast has been listened to um, last week. So this is the Plymouth one. Um, so I just thought I'd throw up a few random ones. So we've had a listener in Cambodia who listens to the Plymouth versus Stoke podcast, which I think is quite interesting. Um, we've got the normal uh, bits, but the Cayman Islands. Uh, so someone's been listening from the Cayman Islands um, as well from there. We've got from Japan. I thought it was really interesting, actually, just to see the, the likes of Cambodia and, uh, you know, places like that listening in. So I just thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> with the Cayman Islands, all I can think about is the episode of The Simpsons, where they're on, there's like fraud going on, and they ring the guy in the Cayman Islands, and he's sat there in his little hut being fanned. A uh, big fat guy, and he goes, "Oh crap!" He says, "I cannot tell you anything about that customer's illegal account." Oh crap! I should have said he was a customer. Oh crap! <laughs> I should have said he was illegal. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so when you say Cayman Islands, I just have a vision of that guy, that pretend Simpsons character. Sat there listening to the podcast in his little hut, <laughs> being fanned. I've not seen that one, but um, we might do this every week. I'll think about it. it. Just, I think it's quite nice to see where people are from. So, thank you to um, obviously the the load of you who who listened last week in the thirty eight different countries. So, thank you to every single one of you. Um, and that leads us nicely into the very final bit. So, Dan, six towns quiz. I'm always grateful when we've got a guest on because. I, well, I've just, I just crap. Let's put it that way. So, Laurie, um, fingers crossed, mate. You're here to help me. <laughs> I'll do my worst. Okay, this, this one, I think you should. I think you'll get this one. So, or at least, I don't think there's many options that you could get wrong. So, I'm only going to give you between you one life. Okay. The question, the topic this week is Tony Pulis managed Stoke City, didn't he, on two occasions? Did he? (laughs) Go on, carry on. So, counting those reigns in his career, who were the last six clubs that Tony Pulis managed? Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I I, I think we're going to get this. Um, So... I'm relatively confident, but we can confer, can't we, before we do this? So it is just the last six, so that's fine. Um, I would say it's going to be, well, Crystal Palace has got to be an obvious one, right? Laurie? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Palace is definitely one. I've I've just written down three. Uh, Borough Middlesbrough Sheffield Wednesday Yeah Sheffield So Sheffield Middlesbrough West Brom Palace Who did he Who did he manage In between his two stints Was it Was that Was that he, Was that In Plymouth? between his two Was Plymouth So is that six One Two Three Four five. No that's five Isn't it So um, Middlesbrough they are second on the list, 2017 to 2019, 80 matches, and that they had the highest win percentage of his managerial career whilst at Middlesbrough, 
West Brom Albion. then. Uh, West Brom, 2015 to 2017, 121 matches he was at West Brom for. Palace. Uh, Palace, they are next, 2013 to 14, 28 games as Crystal Palace manager. So you've got second, third and fourth on the list. Sheffield. Sheffield. Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday. Yep, they were his late, these last club they had in 2020. He had 10 matches in charge, one win, four draws and five defeats. So is it Plymouth then, Laurie? Plymouth was in between. Oh, it was yeah, in between, was, wasn't it? Yeah. He was there for a go, year. So you want to go with Plymouth? That was that was when Boschamp was was in charge, wasn't it, Mike? Yeah. Yep. So he took the Plymouth charge, two thousand five, two thousand six. That is the sixth club on there. So who did he manage between Crystal Palace and Plymouth between two thousand six and two thousand thirteen? Well, Stoke. Yes. There you go. Here we go. Oh. Day of fifth on the list. Three hundred and thirty-three matches in the second spell. Uh, 464 games if you combine his two Stoke Bills. So if you go further down, yeah. seventh, seven was Stoke again, eight was Portsmouth, nine was Bristol City, ten was Gillingham, and eleven was Bournemouth. Boom. I yeah. knew we'd get that, Laurie. Yeah, the, the capped one uh, who deserves his own statue, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was, I was trying to... I was like, you know, including his Stoke spells. <laughs> that's what I was trying to get you. It's not you, you not to think I wasn't going to mention them ones. You did very well, and you maintained the one life you were given as well. So, yes, you have conquered the Six Towns Challenge. Well done. Hey. Love it, love it. Thank you very much. Um, okay, the boys. Well, Luke, it's almost midnight. Uh, we've gone on for probably about two hours again, which we we <laughs> we, we started creeping up again to this two-hour point. But, to. <laughs> uh, we try not to, but uh, I mean, what would you rather? Like an hour, and it'd be bitty and dead brief. I know I wouldn't. So, um, you know, the good thing is, if you know, you can listen halfway through. Put it on as you're going to sleep. Something to listen to. The, the soothing tones of Dan, Laurie and Mike. And, you know, what could be worse? Um, well, it could be worse because we're about to probably lose again. So, uh, yeah, either way, boys, thanks very much for, for joining me. As always, appreciated. Um, we'll probably hear from you, uh, obviously, after the game. But, yeah, Laurie, thanks for giving up some time. Cheers, guys, as always. And go on, Stoke. Let's get a win, please, boys. Happy days. Go on, Stoke. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.